All right, somehow we've traveled through time. There's 0.9 seconds left. Kawhi's taking the second free throw. Here we go, baby. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Inbound the ball, inbound the ball. Game over! <laughs> oh my God, I can't believe the Raptors are the NBA champions! It's madness! It's madness! Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I'm in a hotel room in South Africa. It's like five in the morning. I should probably be a little quieter. God! Oh my God. <laughs> That was me almost one year ago today on June 13th, 2019, the day the Toronto Raptors won their first ever NBA championship. Now, look, I have been a Toronto Raptors fan since their inaugural season in 1995. 24 years! 24 years, baby! <laughs> And this championship was the greatest sporting moment of my life. It was euphoric. Hashtag we the North. Hashtag we the champs. And when a team wins a championship, as much as there is celebration by their fans, there are always people who want to take shots at it and devalue it. And the Raptors championship was no different. People said the Raptors didn't deserve it, they weren't the best team, they wouldn't have won it if so-and-so wasn't hurt, or if this didn't happen, or if that didn't happen. And here we are, a year later, and people are still putting caveats on it. I'm not sure if you saw this, but today, uh, Bleacher Report is on fire a little bit, just because they ranked, um, they ranked the Toronto Raptors the luckiest NBA champion in the past 20 years. Now look, we could spend the rest of the show debating if the Raptors are, in fact, the luckiest NBA champions in the last 20 years. But that's a question without an answer. And besides, that's really not what we do here. So, But I am curious about what it means to get lucky. Looks like I wasn't the only one got lucky last night, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, not like that. Okay. Not lucky, but Luck, you know, in life, good, bad, just what is it? Well, let's start with an example given by Anunet Patak at a TEDx youth event in Jakarta, Indonesia. Let me put you into a situation. You're walking down a road and suddenly a boulder falls right in front of you. Anunet goes on to ask, would you be unlucky for being there at the point in time when the boulder almost killed you? Or would you be lucky that it missed, that you were okay? You see, luck is just a state of mind. It is nothing but an explanation that we give to the good or the bad things that happens to us or around us. So perhaps luck is just a story we tell ourselves. Or as Tennessee Williams wrote and Stanley Kowalski said, Good luck. You know what luck is? Luck is believe me, you're lucky, that's all. Now, psychologist Dr. Richard Wiseman came to a sort of similar conclusion, though unlike Tennessee Williams, who history suggests came to that conclusion over a Ramos fizz in a New Orleans apartment, Dr. Wiseman took a bit more of a scientific approach and launched a study. 
So we advertised in the national media in the UK saying if you think you're a lucky and unlucky person, you know, get in contact. And then for the next decade, we looked at the way in which they saw themselves, they thought about the world, they behaved in different situations, trying to understand if there was indeed a psychology of luck. And the conclusion he and his team came to? For thousands of years, we've had very superstitious thoughts about luck. In fact, the reality is that your thoughts create the luck in your life. If you think you're going to be a lucky person, the chances are you're going to experience lots of good fortune. If you think you're going to be an unlucky person, then you are going to experience ill fortune. So luck is not something that happens to you, it's something you create. Dr. Wiseman expanded the findings of his study in a book called The Luck Factor, where he identifies four principles that he believes govern lucky people. In summary, he states that Lucky people maximize chance opportunities, they listen to intuition, they expect good fortune, and that lucky people see good in the bad. And so their attitude and approach to life becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of sorts. And so I guess he's saying luck is believing you're lucky and then acting on that belief. But is that luck? as most people think of it? I mean, that sounds more like taking risks, being positive, reframing events, and then calling it luck. If you explore the etymology and definitions of the word luck, it is much different. Luck is something that happens to you by chance and not as a result of your own efforts or abilities. I think everybody's afraid to admit what a big part luck plays. I mean, it seems scientists are confirming more and more that all existence is here by blind chance. No purpose, no design. So what does it all mean then? I don't know. How about we take a chance, go on an exploration, and see if we get lucky. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we roll the dice, pull the lever, and put it all on black as we explore luck. That exploration leads us to a conversation with Ed Hess on the importance of humility. And in the end, perhaps we'll create more space for everyone to enjoy this life. My name is Brett Gaida. And I'm Nick Jaworski. Let's start the show. The reality is we all live with luck every day. Some of it feels like good fortune and some of it feels like adversity. And while we often talk about overcoming challenges here on WTS, for this episode, we are going to focus on the luck in our lives that seems to serve us, the fortune we are given. Meredith Jones is an internationally recognized researcher, writer, and speaker. She was named one of Inc. Magazine's 17 Inspiring Women to Watch in 2017 and was named a distinguished author by the Securities and Exchange Commission in 2018. In her 2018 TEDx talk on luck, she describes three kinds of luck. It was rather what I like to think of as a trifecta of luck. They are as follows. The first, 
completely random good luck or serendipity. Second, good luck that was created by other people and given to her as opportunities. And third, good luck that she created for herself through hard work, skill, and attitude, the kind of luck that Dr. Wiseman talked about. Now, the first category of luck was the easiest for me to identify. You see, I grew up poor. And when I say poor, I mean really poor. I like to call it powdered milk poor. My mom worked three jobs, and we were still poor, that kind of poor. But despite my meager beginnings, I was born healthy in a free society to parents who could afford both my powdered milk and, more importantly, the clean water with which to mix it. I was born at a time when women had both the right and the opportunity to obtain an education. I was born at a time when, after my dad left us, my mom was able to get those three poorly paying jobs so that she could support my sister and me. And of course, I was born at a time when it was infinitely possible for a child to do better economically than their parents. And make no mistake, all of that is completely and 100% dumb luck. Now, people talk a lot about privilege, but I don't think we're always talking about the same definition. If you look it up, privilege simply means an unearned asset. An asset is something having value. And so privilege is something you have of value that you didn't earn. You didn't work for it. It is something that happened to you by chance and not as a result of your own efforts or abilities. Huh. Does that sound familiar? If you explore the etymology and definitions of the word luck, it is much different. Luck is something that happens to you by chance and not as a result of your own efforts or abilities. Privilege is basically synonymous with luck. See, you, you got to listen. You, you got you to gotta pay attention. Now, some of you might be saying, whoa, wait, 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 hold on. How did we get to privilege? But just listen to Meredith Jones' TEDx talk about luck and tell me that she's not also talking about privilege. I was born at a time when women had both the right and the opportunity to obtain an education I was born at a time when, after my dad left We all live with luck, good and bad. And when it comes to the fortune in our lives, recognizing the good luck you have and acknowledging that you did nothing to earn it, that is an act of humility. And it matters. It has an impact. Just as a lack of that kind of humility can be very dangerous. I mean, I'm talking about the resistance or straight-up refusal to acknowledge the role luck has and does play in one's life, and often the hubris that comes with it. Okay, I, I just have to jump in right here because I would love to play a little game with everybody. So I'm not going to say anyone's name, but I'm going to give you five seconds to think of somebody on this planet, the entire planet, who exhibits excessive pride or self-confidence, someone who self-aggrandizes their accomplishments and capabilities, somebody who believes that they created all of the good fortune in their life on their own with no one's help. Okay, so I'm just going to give you five seconds to think of just randomly somebody. 
So, out of all of the people on this planet, isn't it interesting that we all thought of the same person? And do you see how this lack of humility ends up causing actual real problems for other people? And, and let's be clear, that's true for everybody. Hubris causes way more problems than solutions. So it's our job to internalize humility if we want to get anything that's worth doing actually done. Now, we are not alone in thinking about the impact of humility in our current world. I'm Ed Hess. I'm a professor of business administration at the uh, University of Virginia Darden Graduate School of Business. I've been in academia 18 years. I was in the business world as a senior executive for 20 years before joining academia. In 2017, Edward Hess and Catherine Ludwig released a book entitled Humility is the New Smart. Rethinking Human Excellence in the Smart Machine Age. The book discusses humility as not just a nice idea, but as a key skill to relevance and excellence in this new era. I reached out to author Ed Hess to discuss the insights and principles in the book. The purpose of the book is to help people learn how to behave, how they think, how they listen, how they relate and collaborate and engage with other human beings so they can be better at doing the skills that the smart technology is not going to be able to do. Because you see, as it states in Humility is the New Smart, it'll be impossible for humans to know more facts or concepts than smart machines or to process, remember, recall, pattern match, or synthesize more data faster or accurately than smart machines. And as Ed said later in our conversation, the smart machines are going to get smarter and smarter. So what is our edge? What jobs can technology not do well? There's a consensus on that. No one disagrees. Higher order critical thinking, innovative thinking, creativity, and high emotional engagement between you and me, high emotional engagement with humans. That's how you're going to have meaningful work. In other words, that's how you're going to keep your job. Okay, and so what does that have to do with humility? So I started reverse engineering. You know, what behaviors are necessary in order to do those types of skills, which are very hard skills? What are the behaviors that are necessary? And then I tried to understand how the behaviors interact and sort of created a little pyramid of behaviors. And the foundational base behavior was humility. And that's why the book is called Humility is the New Smart, because humility is the foundational behavior that basically enables you to, if you will, be open-minded, to think better, to learn better. It enables you to listen better to other people. It enables you to emotionally connect with people because you're not so full of yourself. And I was using the psychological definition of humility, 
which is an accurate view of your abilities, being able to acknowledge your mistakes and limitations, being open-minded, keeping your accomplishments in perspective, a low focus on the self. It's not all about me, all right? And someone that appreciates and understands you need other people to think at your highest level. In the book, based on philosophy and science, Ed and Catherine present five principles that exemplify New Smart, aka humility. One, I'm not defined by what I know or how much I know, but by the quality of my thinking, listening, relating, and collaborating. Two, my mental models are not reality. They're only my generalized stories of how my world works. Three, I am not my ideas, and I must decouple my beliefs, not my values. I'm not talking about values, my beliefs from my ego. Four, I must be open-minded and treat my beliefs as hypothesis, to be constantly tested and subject to modification by better data. Five, my mistakes are not failures. They're opportunities to learn. And these five principles, when practiced and applied, they allow us to think better, collaborate better, listen better, and to manage our ego and our fears. Now, that sounds amazing, right? I mean, show of hands, show of hands. Who would want to think, collaborate, and listen better and manage your ego and fears? Pick me, pick me. Exactly. But through our conversation, I came to realize that Ed coined the term new smart in response to resistance he was getting to the word humility itself. New smart is a concept that I came up with that was designed because people were having trouble with the word humility, at least in the United States. Hmm. Fancy that. In the book, Ed says that many business executives and leaders, quote, had a hard time accepting the science, which clearly demonstrates that most of us are suboptimal thinkers and our egos and fears get in the way of learning. Many of these leaders and execs considered themselves already very smart and successful. And in a culture obsessed with high self-esteem as a marker of psychological health, they have to feel special in comparison with others. Therefore, few of them wanted to accept this idea. And so Ed had to dress it up, disguise it. And so instead of humility, he called it new smart. Sort of like, mm, I don't know, hiding cauliflower in someone's mashed potatoes to improve their diet. Stop winking! Now, here's the thing. I love all of our listeners. I cannot tell you how honored I am that you would spend time listening to our show. And we take that responsibility very seriously. We do not want to waste your time. But even with all of that, there is something that you should know. You are not special. You are just one person on a planet that has 7.8 billion other people in an observable universe of 93 billion light years that is almost certain to have other life in it. Now, you might be special to somebody else, and your experiences might be special to you. I hope they are. 
But as far as the universe is concerned, to quote the Ties article on the mediocrity principle, you are, quote, unalterably average. Back in 2015, I moved to San Francisco for a temporary job and needed somewhere to stay. I ended up living with Brett, and then we made this show, and blah, 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 you know the story. But before I came back to St. Louis, I ended up living just south of San Francisco in a town called Pacifica. And what was amazing about Pacifica was that I could step out the door, walk a block over, and then I found myself at the top of a large hill overlooking the ocean. And being near the ocean, being on the beach, is, is not something that I've ever truly cared about. But every time I saw that ocean and smelled the air and heard it, I felt better. I would see it and I would think, the ocean is so large that it could swallow me whole, drag me into the darkness, and nobody would ever find me. Nobody would even know what happened to me. And that idea, that actually brings me comfort. And not because I want that. That's literally my worst nightmare. But I do appreciate that reminder that I'm just so small. In my head, everything is so huge and so important. But in reality... The ocean doesn't care about my anxieties or my fears, about me and my problems. And that realization helps me to put all of that into perspective. The ocean just shows me how tiny I really am. It's like the NBC show The Good Place. Now, I haven't gotten to watch the last season yet, so please, no spoilers. But in a show that grapples with the very meaning of what is good and what is bad, there's a simple question that permeates the entire show. I gotta go home. What do I owe ya? The real question, Eleanor, is what do we owe to each other? You can come up with your own answer for this, but I'd argue that what we owe to each other is to diminish ourselves so that we can make more room for others. So you need to find a way to do that. For me, it's the ocean. For you, it could be taking a drive, whatever it is. It's our responsibility to show humility to the world. Because when you take up less room in your own head and in your own heart, you have more space for other people to be important. So just stop worrying about it. You are not special, okay? Just say it with me. I'm not special. Good. Just enjoy the room that that creates for others. And when you do that, you might find that life and all of its luck is even more enjoyable. Which, Brett, brings us all the way back to the Toronto Raptors. Wait, 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 what? R really? Oh, no, 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 yeah, 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 hold on, hold on, um, yeah, man, no, 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 I've, uh, I waited 24 years, Nick, I will gladly milk some more Raptors talk on the pod here.
Okay, so let's say that those pundits are right, and somehow we could prove that the Raptors are the luckiest NBA champions in the last 20 years. Or maybe we could prove that they're the luckiest champions in the last thousand years. Well, that just means that it's even more special. And rather than get defensive about it, you can just celebrate it. Hey, I agree, Nick. And, and the thing is, of course they were lucky. I mean, do people think a sports championship is decided on talent alone? I mean, even the players knew luck was involved. Raptors starter Danny Green said to reporters, a lot of things had to happen, and a good amount of it was luck. There is no escaping the luck. If it wasn't one thing, it would have been another. I mean, who's going to win an NBA championship and say there was no luck? Who's going to achieve anything in life, especially something substantial and meaningful, and say there was no luck? And the good news is that if you can acknowledge the luck, you still get to enjoy everything. No one can take from you what you haven't given them. And perhaps in realizing that you are not special and that you are the beneficiary of, of luck and random chance and some work, perhaps you can enjoy the fortunate moments in your life even more. That is well said, Nick. And it makes me think that we went on this whole journey, which, you know, we do, but perhaps former Raptor and NBA Finals MVP Kawhi Leonard had the answer all along. Thank you. And like they said, enjoy this, enjoy this moment and have fun with it. Aha, ha, ha, ha. Yeah! What it do, baby? Huge thanks and gratitude to Ed Hess for talking with us. One of the things I love about the book Humility is the New Smart is it really is a how-to book. I was trying to write a how-to book, how to basically improve my behaviors. We barely scratched the surface of Ed and Catherine's book here, and we didn't really get to dig into the how-to. So I encourage you to order a copy of Humility is the New Smart and really start digging into the practice of humility. There's tools in there, as well as an assessment that you can use to support your growth and development. And if you want to learn more about Ed or the book, well, I'll let him give you some guidance. I guess it's pretty easy. Just Google my name and that'll take you to Darden Business School sites. And the book has a web page with all the articles that have been written or published about the book and some films. If, you know, not that I'm special and not that I'm that important, but I, I am prolific, <laughs> uh, you know, and that's that's that that's because I love this stuff and I'm, I'm trying to make a difference and trying to help people. And it's my reason for being at this age in my life. And so there's lots of stuff out there. And then my my email address is on the Darden Business School website. If somebody wants to reach out, feel free to reach out with questions or whatever. Before we get to some credits and some shout-outs, I want to do a pre-credit shout-out to Teresa Ward for first connecting us with Ed Hess. 
It was almost three years ago, and while I don't know where the time goes, I do know that her making that connection was really the original spark for what became this episode. Okay, so Nick did this last week, so it's been a while for me, but it is credits time! Let's start with some shout-outs. We really appreciate the love we got from so many people on our first episode back. It was obviously a very personal episode for me, and that made the support even more meaningful. On Twitter, uh, Carlos Pacheco wrote, probably one of the most gut-wrenching pieces of audio storytelling I've ever heard. Thanks for sharing your story and wonderful work. Paul O'Malley wrote, an amazing message and great lesson in acceptance. Tatum Elementary shared the concept of sideways energy with their teachers and students, and we also got kind welcome backs from Sam Shalike, Brian Kulak, Scott Lawrence, and at Bidget, just to name a few. On Facebook, thank you for the shares and kind words from Ron Yamada, Michelle Cusimano, Rachel Pearson, and Chris McLeod. And on Instagram, much thanks to Moretti Massimo, Melissa Jean, Jason Turner, Lee Besser, Jazz, and Victor. Reminder, you can find Where There's Smoke on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We are at ExploreWTS on all three platforms. Where There's Smoke is humbly ego-checked, critically thought out, creatively collaborated, innovatively crafted, written, recorded, and produced with a good amount of luck by Brett Guida and Nick Jaworski. To get our newsletter and stay in the loop on all things Where There's Smoke, join our mailing list at wheretheresmoke.co. Our theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick. And speaking of music, Nick, who else was featured in this show? Today we had music from Blue Dot Sessions and Kevin McLeod. That's it. And finally, one final plea for each of you to look within and consider the intention and the practice of humility, because the world needs it. And also because trying to compete with smart machines is going to go about as well as me trying to say the word synthesize in one take. Or to process, remember, recall, pattern match, and synthesize. That is going to be a tricky word for me to say synthesize pattern match and synthesize more data Whew. thanks for listening we love you we'll see you next time